0: Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish, and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 cities in Israel podcast. Hey, if you are a first time viewer of this podcast on YouTube, hit the like, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell so that you get a brand new episode brought to you every week. Uh, We release them on Sunday and... They're there for you on Monday, and if you want to download it, you can download it on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify, and we have... All right, so this episode, I think this is episode 60. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but uh, this episode is going to feel like it's a little bit all over the place, and it's going to feel like it's not necessarily... Tied in to Israel, but it absolutely is, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know why it is immediately. Um, well, one of the reasons why it is immediately, and the initial reason, is because I had the awesome opportunity to get on the phone, on a video chat, on WhatsApp with uh, Professor Rivka Carmi, the former president of Ben Gurion University, uh, the renowned geneticist. And she is also a medical doctor, and she is just a rock star on so many levels. And she's also just a really, just a really great, great, nice person. Um, But she is an example of the wonderful kind of people that Israel produces. Um, The reason I was talking to her and the reason why I gave her a call was because I am. Personal, ger- uh, personal journey sounds kind of hokey, but whatever. It, I'm, I'm conducting a little four-week experiment. Um, that So I was reading this book, and it, it, it was about changing your life, um, and it was by Deepak Chopra. Um, am I saying that right? I think I am. And he's an oncologist who was also... Um, He's from India, and he applies a bunch of his um, traditional healing techniques in conjunction with his uh, what do you call it? His uh, his medical practice. Uh, actually, I don't. I'm not sure he has a medical practice anymore. Not because it went away, but just because he was he was devoting his time mostly to um, this thing. And if I'm saying it wrong, I'm saying it wrong. It's called Ayurveda. But the bottom line is it's not so much the Eastern practice that um, is the focal point of the book. The focal point is this breakthrough in medical... It's weird. You would call it medical philosophy, I guess, right? Um, Philosophical medicine... Um, and it is the mind-body connection. And I don't mean the hokey San Francisco of the late 1960s, mind-body connection, man, you just got to feel it. I don't mean anything like that. I mean, in the literal sense of the connection between the mind and the body. Um, one of the examples that I remember from City College in New York um, when I was in one of the many psych classes, I'm a psych minor. Um, and I'm thinking about maybe going back to school and, and, and finishing that, uh, that psych degree already have one in Jewish studies. But one of the things that I found in one of the studies in one of the classes was that, and I think it was cognitive psychology or maybe it was neuropsychology. Um, but basically what happens is you can have an individual who is a runner. Okay. He runs a marathon. Uh, he runs the 500 meter dash or whatever. And uh, he can run through or she can run through their event in their mind. And if they're hooked up to an EKG and all the uh, a blood pressure machine and all that stuff what you'll find is that their physical response is the absolute same data-wise as their physical response when they actually do the event in the real world. So doing it in your brain equates to on some levels, maybe not with everything, but doing it in your brain equates with doing it in the real world. So what I decided to do was I wanted to develop, this um way to change my behavior to lose some weight to be more active to be more fit and maybe open some expression in my uh in my dna well i don't know um open basically what i wanted to do was i wanted to see as if i could subconsciously train my mind to be the way that i wanted it to be thin So I came up with this acronym, HHLM. And HHLM stands for happy, healthy, lean, and muscular. So I have this mental concept of what I personally want to be. That's all well and good. Everyone kind of has that mental concept. But there are negative stressors that get in the way of that. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to reach out to um, Professor Carmi and find out on a genetic level is this something that's possible and it's really interesting because i was talking to her about i think it's a 2013 study where they had a group of mice and they released the scent of jasmine and then they um they were on a a a plate an electrified plate not a horrible super like freaking rikers you know (laughs) ride the lightning kind of electric just a quick like if you put your tongue in a nine volt battery so what they did was they released the scent of jasmine and then they shocked these rats or mice and they were like okay it was part of another experiment what they found though is when the offspring um were used and they were trying to recreate the same exact um they were trying to recreate the same exact uh experiment as soon as the uh, scent of jasmine was released the offspring mice responded so there's genetic coding um in that's transferred onto uh from the parent to the offspring and it it opened up like this huge um like waterfall of ideas that i had and one of them had to do with a lot of readings. See, it's funny, we're going back to my college education here. Um, One of them went back to my uh, Jewish studies um, classes. And it was one of the Holocaust, I I think I took three Holocaust courses um, to learn more about the Holocaust. And one of them dealt with the survivors children. Um, And I'm curious. Um, if these children were born after the Shoah, are they psychologically scarred? Was that sc- psychological scarring transferred to their offspring? And that's something, I mean, you can't ethically test to find out if that's, um, I don't even know what genetic markers you would look for, but it, it puts into perspective um, the things that we do to an individual get passed on and it's funny because and I don't I don't go into the Torah or anything you know really around here because I like to keep it um open for everyone uh religious and secular I will talk about religion um in the context of history in the context of the state in the context of culture and tradition but I don't really get too deep into my beliefs but the interesting thing is in the Torah it says it will be passed on uh this curse will be meted out on you and your children and your children's 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 ch cho- and on and on and on for so many generations and uh we actually do um impress that trauma onto our generation so it's just fascinating um and that was a little bit of a what is it um I got off onto a little bit of a tangent, but it's, it's one of the, see, that's the interesting thing about the Jewish, Jewish experiment, experiment, the Jewish experience. (laughs) I'm talking about too many things all at once. I'm talking about my experiment. I'm talking about the experience. Um, so yeah, so that's one of the interesting things about when you look at the Jewish experiment experience, um, how it tends to, Interact with so many different aspects of society and culture worldwide. Um, so I got onto the phone with her, Professor Carme, and I was telling her about my idea and about, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put HHLM, happy, healthy, lean, and muscular, up everywhere. I'm going to put it uh, into an 8x10 and get it printed out and put into a frame. I'm going to write it on the whiteboard. If you look, behind me you can see it on the whiteboard um and it's it's going to be everywhere so that it permeates my consciousness well this is what she said she, and i'm going to take a sip of coffee peter this is for you Mm-mm-mm. mm and it's super hot i didn't put enough um uh milk in it and wow my tongue's on fire so anyways this is what she said she said there is a mind body connection and it could be that you are affecting these things this was in our conversation but it would be she doesn't know exactly how you would get data on it she doesn't know how by over a week me it would all be subjective would it be a psychological change? Would it be a genetic change? Would I be doing unlocking certain things inside my genes in order to initiate action? See, because when we think of DNA, we think of DNA as this static blueprint that things happen from. We, we look at DNA as only having a role in passing. Um, The passage of information from the parent to the offspring. But that's actually, I didn't know this, Um, it plays an active role in your day-to-day life. It plays, um, it is the software behind the machine. Um, It's the program that runs in the background that gets everything done. And the interaction between what's called DNA and RNA are constantly changing things like one of the things that um is kind of controversial um well i don't know if it's controversial but basically you can alter dna through radiological and chemical means automatically boom Uh, meaning putting non-organic things into your body or exposing um exposing an organism to radiation so uh with that in mind, when you inject, uh, or or you take meth, or heroin or cocaine, um, you physically alter the DNA. So that changes your DNA. So that from theoretically, from the moment you take it, there is a change made to your DNA structure. And that DNA change gets passed on to each regenerated cell. Um, so I don't know. That's interesting. So if you can do that chemically and you can do that um, radiologically, you might be able to do that chemically internally, because basically that's all we are is a bunch of chemical machines. Each cell is taking it. So we take in, I'm getting off a way off on a tangent. So basically what I'm, (laughs) what I'm trying to say is um, she doesn't know if there's any way to measure it. Um, there would be yes a subjective change um, but she doesn't know um, if there's a way to know if the DNA is doing it or if I'm just making this behavioral change within myself Um, but she said it's fine it's good if it makes your life better then it's absolutely worthwhile Um, but what's funny is last night I think at around I think around midnight our time I got a text from her and she sent me a link to a study on the the whole subject. So I'll update you um next week is actually the end of the uh the end of the experiment and we're going to see if I actually lost any weight. I know I've changed a bunch of my behaviors um and I don't know if I've changed them because of the HHLM thing or if i just really wanted to just change my behavior so again like she said it's subjective now why is all this important um why is it important to 12 cities in israel what does this have to do with israel well what's cool about this is that she is a genetic researcher she's um i think it's four genes or maybe it's more she's discovered that there is all this biological biomechanical biochemical biological research um, being done one, I know it's being done. And, uh, at Ben university in I I also know that it's being done up in Haifa. I think it's being done at Technion or it might be being done at the university of Haifa, um, Tel Aviv university, all of these different, um, universities. There is a physical, um, spirit that that sounds hokey. Um, whatever, there is this spirit of ingenuity, science, and innovation that is going on. And I'm, I'm actually kind of just, um, I have personal things that I, I almost said I have personal issues. <laughs> I have personal questions that I have, that the innovative um, wealth that is Israel has Uh, that I can use as a resource that was the weirdest sentence but it made sense I pulled it out at the end so um all right so what this all ties into is something that I'm that I'm kind of working on in the background with 12 cities in Israel Um, there are a couple of things I'm working on and um, I'm lucky Because I do have resources like Professor Carmi and the people at Ben Gurion University and a bunch of other people. Because I had this idea. I was doing this episode on the Olympics, Israel and the Olympics and what are what Israel's placings are and showings are at the Olympics and what we're involved in, what sports we take part in. And we don't really take we we. I want to say we don't really take part in a lot of them. We do take part in a lot of them, but we don't really um, get to the show, so to speak. Um, And I started to look at why that happens. And what I found was in Israel, there is an extremely, extremely centralized structure for localized, actually, centralized and localized structure for um, athletics in Israel. Now, this goes back to it's interesting. It's really fascinating because culturally it says so much. So it goes back to prior to the state. There were a lot of this is going to sound like it's not related, but it is related. So prior to the state, you had Bundists. Socialists, um, workers' groups, all these things, and they moved from Eastern Europe. These Jews moved from Eastern Europe to Israel and they set up these collectives. Well, these collectives were the uh the kibbutzim, um, and all the farms, the farms that, that people worked uh to be chalutzim pioneers. Now, one of the concepts in Judaism from that time was masculine and that's to be um, the physical strong specimen of a Jew uh, to counter what was seen as at the time the weak Jew who is pushed around by the governments of Europe the people of Europe so they wanted to reinvent themselves Not reinvent themselves, because there were always these masculine, strong Jews. Not just masculine, but but, um, masculine. These these strong, headstrong, powerful powerful in stature and in mind. Uh, Men and women um, who were just at the mercy of sometimes anti-Semitic governments, um in europe and sometimes just freaking oppressive governments in europe that didn't matter if you were jewish or not you were going to be oppressed like Tsarist russia um one of the things that's noted often with Tsarist russia is how anti-semitic it was but it really wasn't good to be a peasant in russia either so um it was a lot that we shared so what happened was this if you had to have work, and you also have had to have um, an expressive time, both uh, either physically, artistically, or whatnot, so a lot of art flourished in in pre uh, pre state Israel, and a lot of sport with what were called hapoalim, and hapoalim were these sports clubs, which is interesting because these sports clubs are a lot like the European sports clubs of the mid to late. Um, 19th century. So basically what they were were they were town sports clubs, kibbutzim sports clubs. And one of them is Hapoel Bersheva. Woo! I love them. 'em. They're uh <laughs> they're Bersheva's sport club. Now Hapol Bersheva has um soccer, it has basketball, um, and it has a bunch of other things. Um but th- as far as sporting programs that's about as far as you can go they have something else called the wingate center for those who excel um and that's in Netanya. and they also have the olympic center in tel aviv and those are the two major training centers the thing about those two major training centers and i understand it's a small country it's only eight million people roughly um but that's 8 million people. Okay. Um, that's a lot of people. If you go to New Jersey, which, uh, Israel's often, what do they say? Israel is often compared to New Jersey in size and population. New Jersey has a ton of sports facilities. That place is packed with sports facilities. That place has opportunities for you to get into a program and go up, it also has numerous universities just like Israel does and if New Jersey was a country, New Jersey would have would take from all of those sports facilities and individual training like in the United States let's take uh, let's let's expand it a little bit in the United States individuals train in their home places like in boston or or san francisco or austin texas or chicago and then they come to the larger training center that doesn't exist in israel all they have is the larger training center so there are only so many spaces so my idea is to build an athletic center of the negev um and you're going to be hearing a lot about sport in israel over the next bunch of a couple of years with me because i'm obsessed with it i uh just watched uh what was it uh the nba playoffs go miami the heat took it in five um so psyched they move on to the next round um but i'm obsessed with sport my friend moti who lives in Bersheva he's a soccer coach him and i we are obsessed with sport and i want to do something with israel with sport um with culture with all of it and i just want to wrap it all up into one night <laughs> nice neat ball um now this sports center that i'm thinking about and the reason why i spend so much time thinking about the psychology behind it and the psychology of behavioral change is because of all this um it's where the root of it comes from and i do tie it into israel so if you're thinking well dude, what you're talking about sounds like a personal journey um don't worry, I can make it really I'm going to have another sip of coffee. Hold on just one sec. All right, so where am I going with all this? So yes, the sports center uh, that I envision is going to be in Beersheba. Bersheva has uh, a number of tertiary communities um, and it's going to be open to those communities. I want it to have a full Olympic-sized swimming pool, a full gymnastics center for... Uh, Boys and girls, men and women. I wanted to have an indoor, I think, uh, two or three pitch soccer. uh, What is it? Uh, I wanted to have an indoor soccer. uh, What do you call that? Um, Pitch. Indoor pitches. Yes, like three indoor pitches. I also want to have an outdoor pitch. And around that outdoor soccer pitch, I want to have full lanes for track, field, all of that. I also, um, on-site want to have a, excuse me, hiccup from the coffee. Um, I also want to have a basketball court, full-size basketball court. Basketball is huge in Israel and is huge with me. So, um, I need a place where I can, (laughs) I can occupy my time, um, So I want it to cover all of these sports. I want it to cover soccer, um, running, and track. I want it to cover gymnastics. I want it to cover swimming, um, and competitive swimming. And I want it to have a basketball court. Um, We can also have on that basketball, uh, in the gymnasium, we can also have volleyball, um, women's and girls' volleyball. Um, I want Israel to compete and i want to i want to pull from that amazing pool of amazing potential israeli athletes um the other thing i want on site is a full sports physio suite and a full sports psychology suite um a full cafeteria and also like a 100 bed dormitory as well as um cottages um for Coaches, parents, whatnot. Um, And that's what I'd like. And that's where all of this comes from. And that's where my obsession with sport comes from. That's where my obsession with fitness comes from. I also wanted to have a full gym on site. I also wanted to have a pro shop where if you come to the Athletic Center of the Negative, you can get anything for any of the sports that we do. Um, And we're also going to have programs with the community uh, so that no kid ever has to say, I wanted to do that, but I couldn't. Um, And yeah, so I told you it was gonna wrap into itself. Um, All right, Uh, lastly, let me wind up wrapping this whole thing up with, uh, as I said, 12 cities in Israel is about Israel. It's a cultural, um, like it's a cultural mission that I have. Um, And one of those ways to immerse yourself in Israeli culture is through the flashcards that we're developing. I want you to head on over to our 12 cities in Israel, 12 cities in Israel, um, Instagram page. You can see all the cards there, or you can go to the new page, 12 cities Hebrew, which is set up for, um, to show you all of the cards and everything that we're doing. Um, also the Facebook community. um over the next week i'm going to be doing a brand new video sort of to get people excited about the kickstarter campaign that's coming up that we're going to finance this with and this uh this brand new system of teaching people the basics in hebrew is absolutely um groundbreaking we're going to have a Aleph Bet set. We're going to have a number set. We're going to have a 500 must-have words based on the 500 words in language that if you have them, you can communicate effectively. We're going to have a uh, flashcard deck with verbs. We're going to have another flashcard deck with just nouns, things, things, things in Israel. And then we're going to have a final deck of Hebrew phrases. And I want you to Be on the lookout for that. We're going to have that video coming out. I'm going to sit down. We're going to do it right here. Um, Hit the lights and all that stuff. And yeah, so thank you. Um, That's pretty much it. (laughs) I know it was a rambly one, guys, but um, I did get to an eventual point. And Professor Carmi, thank you so much for helping me out um, to get my... uh, get my stuff straight so that i knew whether or not i was doing the right thing i really appreciate it um all right that's it um if you want to follow this podcast on uh if you want to download this podcast you can do it on soundcloud itunes google play stitcher TuneIn, and spotify don't forget to hit um the like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell so that you get in the loop for all brand new episodes all right that's it the Gitro the Yellowback Honche Beneham, A Hiuko and come on, and come on, and come on, and come on, 好